words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable unto you, O Lord, our strength and redeemer. Amen.
in blue, just really nice person. In Margie's story, that person becomes really human, really grounded, and willing to offer herself as God's slave. That had never hit me in such a way until I heard Margie's story. In this whole series of the W passages that we'll be studying, there are in fact four Annunciation stories that will begin each Advent Sunday. The first, of course, is Hagar. And Hagar, who is a slave of Sari, is running away, fleeing, pregnant. And when God announces through messengers that she is to return to be an obedient slave, to live and birth the child Ishmael, God hears. She is, in fact, following the pathway of other women who confronted God's messengers in the Annunciations. The next story will be, of course, Abraham and Sarah. The third Sunday will be the story of Samson's Samson's mother. And the fourth will be of Hannah. Each Annunciation has the presence of God's messenger with a woman. (coughs) It's interesting to me that in my struggles to understand my own ministry, when I was the rector of St. Mark's Church in Moscow, Pennsylvania, I was asked by my friend James Ransom, who is an assistant at St. Luke's, to become a master of ceremonies for Lee Ferry to be ordained at St. Luke's Church. This had happened shortly after the first women's ordination, which caused an uproar, challenged because it was not accepted by our diocesan general conventions. I didn't realize at the time that I had said yes, that in fact it was very close to those experiences. And when I came to St. Luke's and was organizing the bishop and the canons and the clergy where they would sit and what they would do and where they were going. I even had a map laid out. As I've said before, there was a knock at the door and the secretary told me that there was news media wanting to ask me some questions. I had struggled prior to this about women's ordination. I worked for a priest in Batavia, New York, who struggled mightily. 
could not see women becoming priests. I had struggled with this myself. I knew women in seminary. Some of them I thought were really not only worthy, but important in terms of the ministry down the road. However, it was at this moment that I suddenly realized I had shifted from being a doubter to being a defender of women's ordination. I said some rude things to the media and I told them what I expected of them during the celebration of an ordination. I was quite firm. Matter of fact, I did scare one guy. Uh, he creeped down a side aisle waiting to get to the place where I would allow him to stand to take a picture of the preacher for the ceremony that day. And I finally waved to him. He goes, To me, it was a transformation to me, inside of me. It was really shocking. I suddenly was aware that I was in a very different position. Because suddenly I had opened my senses and my awareness of my own ministry to know that women were equal to bringing the gospel of Christ to others. <coughs> Not only equal, but in a sense, they were threatening to many clergy. Because you have to understand, when I was ordained, I was ordained as the Reverend Father Skip Foch. And all of a sudden, women were going to be aside, alongside of me. And I knew a number of clergy who were so threatened because it challenged their sexual identity. They were priests because they could be compassionate, caring, loving, supportive, and all of the rest of the wonderful female traits. In many ways, those who had taken upon themselves to become priests liked the feminine narrative. But when women became a part of the clergy, they had to redefine themselves. And that created hostility, vocals, complaints, and everything else. And I was shocked because some of my best friends struggled mightily with that particular issue. The other thing that got me was when I left the ministry of the church and became a chaplain, I suddenly realized that the chaplaincy of the Episcopal Church was under attack because the chaplain's group was highly supportive of women's ordination in the church. Actually, I found it to be a good home, a great place. And through the chaplaincy, which many women, when it was okay to be ordained, had sought positions because parishes were still leery of their ministry in them. Later on, as I became a dean at San Francisco City College, 
Someone recommended to me a book written by a woman talking about how, in fact, women become models for business. I was a little hesitant, again, coming back from my male issue side, the fact that all these things were hierarchical in the male kingdom, and that wasn't true with the women that I knew. As I read the book, all of a sudden it opened up a whole Pandora's box for me because she talked about, she met with, I think it was nine women, and I'm, this is from memory recall, nine women, and how did they structure being CEOs of organizations? And for the first time, I saw a system that was not hierarchical at all, but actually collaborative and the ability to seek out ideas and shared ideas so that the decision-making process was more holistic. I was fascinated by the stories of the women that she had followed and researched with. Here again in the academic world, the quote, external world, not the church world, there was a push for looking at the woman's point of view. What I found in looking at this particular business model was the fact that I was now okay. I had thought for a long time that I wasn't like many of my peer men in deanship because I believed that it was a collaboration, not a hierarchical position taking. I believe that, in fact, offices should be based upon configuration that gives the best inner reaction and relationship of all the staff. The things that I had done, questioning my ability to be, quote, a good boss, was confirmed by this particular researcher. The next book that she wrote came out and I read just the first paragraph and was shocked because she was shocked that the people who responded most to her book were male managers, thanking her for giving them a base for the trust in how they, in fact, do business. They, too, believed the same models that she was contending for women. And I thought to myself, isn't that interesting? Because so much of our history has been done through a male voice. So much of our church history has been seen from a patriarchy. When, in fact, the matriarchy is the base for our religious convictions. It is the matriarchy, there's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but they would have been no one without Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, and Leah. 
the basis for our studying from the women's perspective is to find a broader way of appreciating both our faith, our commitment to God, and our willingness to be slaves for God. Who wants to really be a slave? Perhaps none of us. Mary certainly was willing. Hagar, in her fleeing, went back to live with Sari, where she knew that she would be a captive once again. These stories are so powerful and so important for us to grasp. I hope that as we process through this year using W as our text and our guide, that we learn more about the full integrity of what it is to be a believer in Christ, male and female alike, and that we are more alike in our faith than we are in our definition of sexuality. It is our ability to outreach, to connect, to meet one another where we are, and accept the fact that we are, in fact, committed to the love of God, which gives us a direction and hope and in wholeness of one another.